This is Ed McMahon. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I would say something economic, but I don't want people to groan. Yeah, I hear you. I don't blame people for groaning. I'm going to go with one of those conceptual ones that annoys you. Oh, there you go. Live from Studio C. Season your A dimly lit room deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And today, brand new week. Oh, a brand new week pregnant with possibilities. Every day is the same. I don't care if it's Monday or Sunday. In my life, anyway. Doesn't matter. Every day is the same. But anyway, it's Monday. Today, we're under the tutelage of our general manager. The great American comeback. Who's ready? Let's go. Let's do this. Wow, you're fired up. Booyah! Huh? Yes! There's a guy who's optimistic. The future lays ahead of us. I will take the other side of the argument throughout the show. I am not optimistic. What? Oh, no. We're, we're good, folks. Listen to old Uncle Joe. Not old Downer Jack. Chief Dark Cloud over there. Did you watch 60 Minutes last night? No. See the Fed chair on there? No, I heard a bunch of it, but... Yeah... He is talking about the long-term effects of this and how bad they he thinks they quite possibly will be. That's why it's all the more important to talk in this tone of voice. We're going to spend the summer with 25% employment, unemployment, which is the sort of thing I used to hear about. During the Great Depression, one out of four workers was out of a job, and I just think, I can't even imagine how that was uh, even possible. Guys selling pencils on the street and apples. That's that what this summer is going to be like. Uh, back to the everyday being the same, I tweeted this out, a picture. Uh, somebody put this on the front of their business. For those who have lost track, today is Blur's Day, the 14th of Malpray. Maple, <laughs> maple A, that is. Today is Blur's Day, the 14th, 14th of Maple A. Yes, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. And my kids. It's even more for my kids than me, because I, uh, I go off to work Monday through Friday. Right. Um, But, uh. Yeah, for my kids, it's just every day is the same. Um, and I know that is for a lot of people around the world. How you doing? Huh? How was your weekend? Everything fantastic? You talking to me? Just in general. Or was that just rhetorical? That was rhetorical. It was fine. It was actually uh, quite nice. A little sad. Uh, little D went back to her, her college town after seven weeks at home, which I'd forgotten. That's a long time. And... Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a little uh, tearful Saturday yeah. morning as we dropped her off at the airport. But, well, uh, you, you know, got that situation. Get back to her life. You had that situation. A friend of mine mentioned that he's, you know, I said, how are things going? And he said, you know, I hate to say it out loud, but this has been great for me. Mm. My two college kids are home. My kids are about to go off to college. We're all together, probably for the last time. Yeah. Every night we're playing games and watching TV and, and, and playing basketball in the driveway. And he said, you know, this is. It was, it was great in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. Although, as we uh, went into her room after her inhabiting it for seven weeks, we were reminded why we don't take in 20-year-old roommates. <laughs> because that they live like savages. <laughs> well, again, I'll take the opposite side, since you're optimistic. I'll, for, I'll represent people who, who may have had a weekend closer to mine. Stressful, tiring, lots of tears and angst. Well, Probably not that uncommon this time. See, my op- my optimism is not in spite of them; it's for them, because they and we and those who think in a reasonable and balanced way about this, I believe, are are gaining ground. 
Well, I hope so. I, I, I really, really think so. Have some great stuff on that for you. And why the divide exists. It's not nearly so simple as Republican-Democrat. Uh, there, are, there are real social forces at work here I want to talk about. I saw that Graceland is opening. Yes. In Memphis, Tennessee. Go see the Jungle Room. So uh, Elvis fans will have a chance to get back into uh, his home where he died on the toilet. Take the kids. Exactly. Just don't touch anything because mm, you don't know what happened in there and <laughs> how long those things live. Um, let's introduce everybody in the squad before we get into the show proper. There's our board operator, Michelangelo, pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. Hi, this morning, Michael. I'm doing good. Um, I really enjoyed the last dance. The uh, final episodes were this weekend. And Did um, the Bulls win in the end? Or? They did. They <laughs> Spoiler. Did. Spoiler. But so I'm, they beat the Utah Jazz. Huh. Yeah. I'm hoping that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm hoping that the um, ESPN will go the other direction now. And instead of you know following superstars, follow guys that are like the tenth man or twelfth man, and just do a documentary on them. What's it like to be you know on the bench all day long, and just what is the life of of the twelfth man? <laughs> I saw what it's like to be on the bench. Another uh, Twitter comment saying, uh, "Can you make two more episodes or start on another team or something?" Because a lot of people were locked into that and need some entertainment, certainly sports wise. I actually have seen, I don't know if they're documentaries exactly, but shows about guys who are barely hanging on in pro sports leagues. And those stories are very interesting, anybody, in my opinion. Anybody watch the NASCAR with no fans yesterday? I did not. I watched the golf with no fans. Did it, did it seem any different? doesn't seem like NASCAR on TV without fans would seem that much different. No, me, but. I would say of any sport or spectacle. Uh, that would be the least affected, honestly. Mm-hmm. The golf was great because they had the guys mic'd up and everything, and you heard them talking about the shots and hmm. what happened and the rest of it. And, you call and, that a swing? Is that what they would say to well, each other? They were giving, they were ribbing each other too. Good, good, good. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was just, it was two two man teams. Were famous they, golfers. Were they socially distancing, or were they putting us all at risk, <laughs> trying to kill us all? For the love of Titleist, settle down over there. Uh, they were mostly social distancing, no high fives allowed or fist bumps or anything like that. And they would have interviews where the interviewer would stand six feet away from them. I mean, it was kind of awkward and weird. What did the, I see? I saw some overheated rhetoric yesterday. What did the Atlantic say Georgia was doing two weeks ago? This was on the, uh, the idea that Georgia opened up and people thought, oh, my God, everybody's going to die. Oh, and, yeah. And it, was, it was something way over the top. They're, they're conducting an experiment in human sacrifice. That's, that's it. what it was. Yep. Right. Uh, an experiment in human sacrifice. And then I saw somebody yesterday about schools reopening, and somebody was arguing for how they've got to reopen and kids can't miss a whole year of school and blah, blah, blah. And she said, I'm not going to put my kid on a bus to have them come back in a body bag. Oh, I thought, okay, that's, well, that's a, a reasonable discussion. That's, that's where we are right. on this conversation. Super. That's fantastic. Uh, there's positive. Sh- that was on um, ABC This Week or Face the Nation. I mean, that was on a real show. Mm. Not some minor cable show that nobody watches on a Saturday afternoon. I'm yeah, not going to put those. my kid on a school bus and have him come back in a body bag. You should get kicked out of all of media for saying that. Yeah, well, as Chuck Todd and others have shown us, the formerly vaunted Sunday shows have become closer and closer to tabloid crap. <laughs> better guests. There's Positive Sean, anyway. Hey, how are you doing, Sean? Doing very well. Now, it is it is charming at any point in your life to realize there are still a, a an untold number of first ofs that you can experience. And I, I experienced a first of in my lifetime uh, this past weekend. Now, uh, it, I I ordered a pizza 
for the first time since this whole lockdown thing started, I've been very good about eating out of my own uh, cupboards and, and fridge, mostly consisting of uh, various rice bowls. Have you noticed the financial impact impact to your wallet? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. bet. That's where, honestly, that's where my whole, we buy the dips in this house thing with the stocks. That's where a lot of that money came Man, from. Man, out's expensive. Anyway, back yeah. to you. Um, but uh, so I, I ordered a pizza. I had a craving for pizza, ordered pizza. Actually, I had a craving just for like, Stupid twisted up garlic bread that I could dip in marinara sauce mm-hmm. and eat, but it turns out if you order that, you can get a pizza, pizza practically free. Um, so, so I ordered that and I don't know if this is new protocol for, hey, this is a new contactless sort of thing, but the pizza wasn't cut. <laughs> it was just oh, a, yeah. a giant flat round. I mean, it was great. But it was it was hilarious. I even took a picture of it. Um, I'm not going to say that. Did you just tear it apart with your hands? I I have a pizza cutter because I'm a bachelor and I also eat a lot of frozen pizzas. Um, So it wasn't. But, you know, it wasn't the straight, you know, line, perfect lines. You know, it was a little bit (laughs) haphazard, wasn't symmetrical. But, uh, yeah, I just hadn't seen an uncut pizza delivered before. And uh, I, I didn't go on and complain or anything. It's not a big deal. I'm not too. I'm not concerned about Maybe it. Maybe that it was, is a new. Is that our new normal uncut pizzas? Well, if you, hey, if that's you good. Can, Have you said that before? If you can be close enough to my pizza to craft it, then you might as well cut it. I assume human hands put the sausage on each piece. Right, but then it goes in the oven, which cooks all the disease away. And then after that, <laughs> point. The only thing you're touching it with is that giant long spatula that is a kid. I think I you're right. Was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, I saw an ad somewhere about, uh, and I don't remember what food it was, but on how nothing touches the food after it comes out of the oven. No right. human hands are involved. So yeah, all right. I guess that's a big deal. Yeah, okay. Um, you want some sausage? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this Monday, May 18th, the year 2020, where Armstrong and Getty and we approve of this program. Let's begin then officially, according to FCC rules and regulations, at Mark. May I start by saying how thrilled we are to have you here. We are such fans of your music and all of your records. Right. I'm not speaking of yours personally, but the whole genre, the rock and roll, and so many of the exciting things that are happening in music genre. today. Now <laughs> <laughs> ah, the great Fred Willard. His past, comedian, actor. Fred Willard died over the weekend. I had Comedic no idea. Actor. I had no idea he was dang near ninety years old. Mm, so yeah. he was old when he did those movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty. Yeah, movies a long time. Senior ago. citizen. Yeah. You guys could use a haircut. Of course, who am I to talk? I'm getting a little shaggy in the back myself. <laughs> People might mistake me for being in the band. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. You go over to the Holiday Inn and see this great band, Four Jackson and Jill. <laughs> it was actually the Ramada, but yes. The Ramada. <laughs> From the classic Spinal Tap, which these two yo-yos have memorized apparently. <laughs> As we have Fred Willard clips throughout the day. Excellent. Um, uh, how's Mailbag? Oh, it's outstanding. We'll have notes from all over. Oh, wow, As fantastic. around the great country uh, of ours report on what's happening by them. And you can send notes from all over on our text line, which is 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Eliminating various qualifying tests from universities to try to get more diversity going, which is going to ruin America. Make what are already more or less worthless college degrees even more worthless Mm. in the eyes of employers. We can talk about that later. Uh, when America goes back to work, will the office still be there? You go back to the office, is the office there anymore? Or did they decide, well, we don't need this. We decided we don't need it. 
Turns this, out we can get by without you. It's a Starbucks now. <laughs> good, uh, Your cubicle is a Starbucks. Good article in the Wall Street Journal about that today. And they pointed out the best downside of that that I've come across yet. So stay oh, tuned for oh, that conversation. Okay. Great best Great. downside. Yes. Mm. The most interesting downside. What I hadn't contemplated, but it's clearly true. Well, I've been contemplating like a son of a gun over the weekend. I think I really understand the divide among the stay-at-home, be-safe crowd and the all-right, let's-get-back-to-work crowd Fantastic. and how that functions. As a philosopher king, you can lay that on us. <laughs> I did I did like 10 loads of laundry yesterday. In so you a understand of getting out stains and so I, uh, odd odors. Yeah. Speaking of odd odors, somebody needs to check the back stairwell by the office because it smells like maybe somebody died. An aggressive scent. Over the weekend. Or, or somebody got died, and uh, that's where they stashed the body. The one just right by the, the, the uh, office uh, door over there? No, by, by, you know, by the coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, there's funk back there, man. I Bad shall investigate funk. in the next break. Or a raccoon died back there. So it's disgusting. Mailbag. You suspect foul play. I always suspect foul play. Cops will be interviewing you since you smelled it first. That's fine. Whoever smelt it. Anyway, our freedom-loving quote of the day today and all week long. Jack will be excited by this. We have a series from Edmund Burke. I thought it was going to be Fred Willard. Well, no, we have plenty of quotes from him, too, but not freedom-loving. Burke, Irish statesman, philosopher, he kicked it in the 18th century. That's your 1700s, which is, you know, every time I say that, I have to think about it. I had that conversation with my son. It really makes him mad that it's that way. And I said, said, you know, I've been doing it my whole life. I still have to stop and think about it. So do you go forward or backwards? 1700s is the 18th century. Edmund Burke often considered the father of conservatism. He was celebrated by both liberals and conservatives in the uh, 1800s, Jack, which is the 19th century. At any rate, I have a bunch of great freedom-loving quotes of the day, but it does occur to me that the quote he's probably best known for uh, is often paraphrased, but what he said literally was, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. He said that first. I'll be danged. Uh, or so they claim. I'll hit you with another one, though. It doesn't really matter who said something first, does it? If it's good, it lives throughout time. I would agree, yeah, and it's not like there's a reward in heaven right. for coming up with something glib. There's At not? least not as far as I know. I'm screwed. And, and often it's just the English version that I hear of something that was said in China also several thousand years ago or the Middle East several thousand years ago. Right. And actually that, you know, some people would think, oh, so it wasn't Mark Twain. But, you know, if you're into wisdom as opposed to, you know, giving credit, it's interesting that, you know, in 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 uh, prehistoric Samaria and uh, Jerusalem in Jesus' time, and the Roman Empire, and uh, Cleveland, Ohio, um, something is true. Something is very true and worth knowing. That that makes it more valuable. Because there is such thing as human nature, which is one of the founding principles of conservatism. Correct. Correct. Uh, So your freedom-loving quote of the day from Edmund Burke, that was one. Here's another one. The people never give up their liberties, but under some delusion. Hmm. We are always duped into giving up our liberties. Moving along, Mike has a great idea. He re- says in response to uh, Nancy Pelosi's $3 trillion Democrat cash grab and their preference of keeping the U.S. economy shut down, the GOP have been presented with a golden messaging opportunity. And it, he's come up with the message. Let's work our way out of this and huh. make America great again. It's a potentially winning re-election message 
contrasting party positions, but more importantly, a rallying cry for America to get back on his feet. I actually responded to Mike. I said, if a guy can make a living coming up with slogans, you ought to apply. That's pretty good. Let's work our way out of this. Boy, Chairman Powell on 60 Minutes last night was pitching hard for we got to spend whatever we got to spend to keep people, uh, keep businesses from going under. Because when they go under, they don't come back. Yeah. And um, let's let's not make it an idiotic, you know, train load of cash spread to idiotic programs and, and, and democracy perverting ideas, though. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk more about that. Here's notes from all over. Michael, theme music, please. Oh, we don't have theme music. Never mind. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, who lives in the Kansas City area, sent us uh, an article, a bunch of pictures where they have uh, taken off the rims or blocked them with plywood all of the uh, the basketball courts oh, in the Kansas City area. Wow. So nobody can play basketball. Wow. Uh, Dr. Jeff in Hawaii points out that Hawaii, deep blue Hawaii, and I mean politically, not the water, um, is going all mail-in voting for this election day. Mail-in voting, much easier to manipulate and get half-wits to vote and kind of just put a ballot in front of them. And Anyway, that's why it's, it's big among Democrats, in my, uh, in my opinion. We now and, know why Elon Musk was pushing so hard to reopen fast. <clears throat> and it's pretty darn interesting, among other things we yeah, can we talk about coming up. All sorts of good stuff. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com is the email address. Mailbag. Armstrong and Getty. It's maddening, you know, because I felt like we could have won seven. Uh, I really believe that. We may not have, but man, just not to be able to try—that's that's that's something that you know I just can't accept for whatever reason. I just can't accept it. Well, it's because you're a crazy person when it comes to being competitive. Mm. It's, it's I think that's become clear over 10 episodes of The Last Dance, which ended last night on ESPN. Uh, that music, just, it, it's too much. All I right. Know. All the time. It's not then Sherman decided to turn south and burn every town as he headed toward the ocean. And then Steve <laughs> Kerr turned to Phil Jackson and said, when's practice, coach? And then the Soviet missiles on Cuba. No, it's a basketball game. And then Michael Jordan missed a free throw. <laughs> anyway, I've heard this story ten times today, so you might as well hear it, too. Uh, Michael Jordan's shoes went for a record $560,000. His Nike Air Jordans from 1985. Game worn, signed by him. $560,000. That's a... A record for shoes. Yeah, this documentary seems to have created a bit of a surge in the yeah. Michael Jordan That's... memorabilia department, and a lot of people are like, now is the time to sell. Yeah, well, yeah. I was about to say, the seller I get, yeah. the buyer, you're a dumb rich guy who got all caught up in watching the ESPN thing, got excited about my, and then like a month from now when it dies down, <laughs> he got $600,000 shoes. Anyway. Uh, one one half size bigger than the other, which is the case for many of us, but most mm. of us can't afford to get those shoes. Mm. I'm an 11 on one side and a 10 and a half on the other, but I don't have a single pair that's like that. Mm. I either have to have one too small or one too big. I haven't had my feet measured in so long or even tried it. I don't even know. Mm. I'll bet that's true. Last time I got some running shoes, they had me stand on like a fancy iPad. Oh, yeah, that's and the had, cool like, thing. had computer imaging on Ooh, where my weight yeah. distribution was. Like, Just give me some sneaks, man. <laughs> 
No, that sounds good. I need to that's, get custom fit. That's the new thing. Yeah, you stand on there and it gives you your exact shoe size. I, I'm not trying to learn more about my feet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an NBA basketball player. If they're close, I'm probably going to be fine walking from my car to work. Exactly. As long as the pain is below the severe level, I'll be all right. Uh, so this will get Joe started on his tease for what he's going to talk about. Oh, and it's very important. Uh, opinion if, if, piece. If I know what you're talking about. An opinion piece in the Washington Post. Trump is gambling the health of the nation for oh, his reelection. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's a fair interpretation of what's happening. Oh, boy. So uh, we'll, Joe will be talking about that. He's all, red, he's all fired up and ready to go. It's a little early for stupid. Really? I like to ease into my stupid. Oh, you know, that reminds me, before you get to that, sorry. Uh, our email address is mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com, and y'all are doing a great job of keeping your eyes and ears out and or registering your opinions. But don't don't take the show personally, please. Okay? Hmm? Just relax. Hmm. Interesting. You know, uh, while I'd like to think that we're critical to the functioning of the union and, indeed, the entire human race, it's just a danged radio show. Take it easy. But you're going to talk about the shutdown versus open up argument coming up? Uh, yeah, That's and, and honestly, what's motivating the great divide in America? Fantastic. Uh, yeah, we got to do something to get the economy going. It was the uh, it was a bad, the worst week in two months last week in the stock market. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's, uh, I don't know. Um, so we now know why Elon Musk was fighting so hard to get his plant up and running there. In uh, Fremont, California, he's on the cusp, says the Wall Street Journal, of breaking into the S&P 500, which would change his business model completely, obviously. Oh, really? Because, huh. and I had, I well, but first of all, it's a, it's a prestigious thing to be in the S&P 500, but I hadn't even ever thought about this. Um, obviously, if you do index, index funds of any right, kind, so right. many of them are just tied to the S&P 500. So you get an automatic influx of cash when, you're, when, uh, you, when you break into that. You know, uh, just get some of that 401k drip every yeah, week. Yeah, from, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was so close and is so close and quite possibly he's going to make it, according to the Wall Street Journal. But uh, delaying for another couple of weeks was going to make it very, very difficult. A surprise second quarter profit could qualify Elon Musk's company for the uh, S&P 500. And uh, the single person, the health lady in Alameda County, California, was keeping him from that. Exactly. I'll be danged. Um, so that's I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was sitting here thinking, what the heck's the difference if he's number 502 or number 500? And there, there it is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's it's a, I guess it's a, um, well, according to this article, it's a huge difference in terms of the amount of money you have to play with. You learn something new every day, and if it's on the Internet, it's probably false. Well, it was in the Wall Street Journal, so it's probably true. Yes. Uh, also in the Wall Street Journal, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning reading the Wall Street Journal, so came across a bunch of stories. Uh, when it's time to go back to the office, will it still be there? And we've talked about this a lot, and uh, you know, a number of speculation uh, and, uh, ideas out there of... Uh, are people going to start moving to the suburbs? And they did. They're, they're they're quoting various studies in this article saying that for a lot of businesses, they're running at ninety percent to a hundred percent of where they were before, mm. with people doing it at home. Pretty hard to justify the office space, the electricity, the furniture, and everything else when that's the case. Especially given uh, the fact that there's headroom, we can get better at it. Right. We yeah. Are right. Yeah, now. this was this came out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, think how better that will be a think how better whatever Zoom becomes or the next Zoom is. Right. Sure. Um a year from now. Um and then and then also um there are there are 
you know, all kinds of side tangents to this entire discussion. So if people decide, if corporations decide that people can work for home and they can be as productive, then people can live in, you know, a, a, in a cheaper place. And do their job. Mm-hmm. So then um, uh, prices go down in the big cities, maybe in the middle of the city and, oh, clearly. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, on the other hand, maybe they don't have to pay as much to get the employee they want because the housing prices, you know, it'll, it'll all work itself out in a free market society. But it's, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one thing I had never considered, and I've wondered about this with a, a different organization I was part of. Um, I've been doing these... Um, um, online meetings with another thing I'm involved with. And uh, and I thought, this is working pretty well, but it's because we all know each other. What would this be like if we didn't all know each other already? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to kind of starting from scratch. And that was one of the questions um, uh, from people who study this sort of thing. How will you create a culture in a workplace among people who are only together a few days a month or a day a week or whatever it is? Can you even have an office culture? Because so much of the culture and relationship you have with people doesn't happen in the in the meeting, which is right. on Zoom. It's the you know around the lunch table complaining about the uh, the stale cake they they brought in for the <laughs> for somebody's birthday or whatever it is. Right, and I think the employers of yesteryear better understood this, or maybe just did it accidentally. That those morale building times. Whether it's everybody gets together for a beer at 4.30 on Fridays or on the conference table or people go out together or whatever. It used to be a lot more loose and, and fun, you know, working in America. But anyway, it's those times that give you resilience during the stressful times so you don't hate each other. You realize, okay, he's being kind of a, a, an ass today, but it's because he's under a lot of pressure. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fond of her, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust my ass to help her out here. You know, it's just... You're right. Yeah, you're not going to build that camaraderie that gets you through difficult times. I've been attending these meetings, like I said, with this nonprofit thing I'm in, and and know everybody already. So it's coming together, and we all know each other, and already have this. There's a culture that exists. But there's like one person that is joined. I don't know this person at all, and I don't know if I would ever get to know him. I could we, we could be in a this 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 online meeting once a week for the rest of my life. I'm not sure I would ever feel like I knew that person at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple of really good, really productive online meetings, and if the people involved walked into the room right now, I wouldn't know who they were. That's a I mean, good point too. I, there's just something different about yeah, you know, seeing them in person. And that also who knows, will shake maybe out. some deep caveman, you know, you you know, learn their smell like a dog. <laughs> but if there is one thing I know about companies, if they if if it's true that somewhere between ninety to one hundred percent effective, uh, uh, at least over the last quarter of people not being in the workplace. And it saves a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Workplaces are going to go that direction. Yes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see it evolve. So there is a great divide in America right now. You may have noticed that, that we haven't all pulled together beautifully and uh, reached for a common goal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're uh, more or less at loggerheads and calling each other names as usual. And uh, I, I read some, I heard some really interesting insight on what's going on with that. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it, find it thought-provoking. Understand ourselves a little bit better. It's coming up in a few minutes. Matt Taibbi, lefty Matt Taibbi, with an article entitled, Democrats Have Abandoned Civil Liberties. Wow. He's been awesome. I want to hear that. I'll check that out. Is that in Rolling Stone? Uh, No, it's on... um, Does Rolling Stone exist, or did that go out of business? No, they exist. It's a website, mostly. This is on a uh, a, a website where you post your stuff, I guess. Mm. 
Um, if you follow him on Twitter, you can find it. Fantastic, and we're going to be sprinkling Fred Willard clips in throughout the show because he died over the weekend, one of the funniest people who's ever lived. Um, so many things to catch up on and uh, and uh, tales from our own lives, including mine, which was, uh, well, odd in a number of ways. Oh, boy. So stay tuned for that. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Let's start right out. Hey, what happened? As you know, back in 1970, I started on a series called What Happened? And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? (laughs) We had a lot of fun with that and a lot of other catchphrases. I got a real red wagon. And uh, I can't do my work. And I believe I was the first one to use the phrase, I don't think so. But it only lasted a year, and that's good because that's how you establish a cult. (laughs) Uh, Fred Willard died over the weekend, so there you go. We don't have time for this. Oh, really? I I thought you wanted a Fred Willard clip. Well, I did. It was just kind of... I mean, it's only thirty seconds. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to, okay, not be able to finish this. So coming up at, uh, in 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 ten minutes, the a brilliant description of why there is a divide in America between the stay home, be safe crowd and the for God's sake, can we get beyond this crowd? Mm-hmm. Uh, just to to grossly oversimplify, um. Yeah, okay, I'll leave it at that for now. But trust me, it's worth hearing. Awesome. If you don't get the next hour of the show, God bless you, you miserable wretch. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. The answer is you can go to armstrongandgetty.com and get, oh, and get the podcast. Oh, oh well, there you go. It's a much better solution. Yeah, yeah. so you're not <laughs> yeah, a miserable wretch. In fact, you can just listen to it. In a, right. You need not throw yourself on the mercy of the Almighty. <laughs> you could even listen to it at one and a half times speed if you want to. Don't. Uh, it's bad Cal- for your brain. From the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, California defines testing down. Janet Napolitano, who is the uh, president of the University of California and on the short list of VP candidates for Biden, I understand. No. She is a horrible. Well, she's uh, she's a Marxist. She is actually a Marxist and a thief. <laughs> yeah, and and a hundred other and, and a, a liar. liar and a liar. Oh, she's yeah. a huge yeah. liar. If she the ends system war, exactly. Uh, we'll explain all that if she ends up being the vice president and show. a hack. But anyway, she's involved in this snappy the, dresser. Though I try to be balanced. The nation's largest university system is poised to undermine the value of its own degrees by dropping admissions testing for political reasons. Yes, says the Wall Street Journal. Yes, even as tuitions rise. <laughs> And even as more data comes out showing that people are learning less and and getting more less from it. And, and all you have to do is fog a mirror to get a B and show up, you yeah. get an A. <laughs> the math and reading tests have faced escalating attacks from progressives because black and Hispanic students score lower than whites and Asians on average. And one activist group sued the University of California system late last year. Yet an exhaustive UC Faculty Senate report commissioned by Ms. Napolitano, she commissioned this study, Mm -hmm. and released this year, found the tests aren't discriminatory and play an important role in protecting education equality. I'm sure when she got those results, she said, don't! 
It's not what I was looking for. Try you, again. And you know that they you know that they put pressure on this test to get the results they wanted. And they still didn't get the results they wanted. Yep. The results still showed that the tests are not biased. Surveying data from tens of thousands of students, the commission found that the SAT and ACT add substantially to UC's ability to predict student success beyond high school grades, especially for minority groups. So it's especially good for predicting for minority groups. Mm -hmm. It said UC does not appear to use standardized test scores in a way that amplifies racial disparities. The report found the top obstacle for, for minority students is not testing, but failing to complete required high school courses. It also suggested that worsening grade inflation at the high school level, especially at wealthy high schools, makes an objective assessment especially important. The progressive UC faculty are not indifferent to the prospects of disadvantaged Californians. The committee scrutinized the data for evidence of bias. I'm sure they did. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure they worked as hard as they could to twist any numbers they possibly could and manipulate the data to come up with bias, but there just isn't any. Yet test gaps reflect differences in levels of preparedness, exacerbated by California's unaccountable K-12 through public schools. Ah, yes. Well, the, the schools are accountable to the unions. Ms. Napolitano plans, uh, her plan says she appreciates the thorough and careful analysis the committee conducted, but sweeps it aside. She writes that a new test may enable UC to admit cohorts of students more representative of California's diversity. So regardless of the fact that she commissioned the study and her people got to go over the data and release it, and she still is going to say, well, we're not going to use that report. We're going to come up with our own way to figure this out because we need to have a student body that's more representative of diversity. Right. If they spent a tenth of the time, energy, and money on trying to promote a culture of learning in America's poorer neighborhoods and schools instead of just trying to sign as many people up for welfare or inflate grades or fake their way into college. You know what's crazy is that these minority kids who are utterly unprepared um, or whatever kids who are unprepared and you know they eliminate this testing standard or, or affirmative action, that the kids flunk out. They don't thrive. They don't succeed in large numbers in college. And then they end up with all sorts of debt and no degree. You're doing them a huge favor there, Janet. So the editorial board at the Wall Street Journal uh, wraps up this way. The UC bureaucracy is frustrated that its race-neutral admissions policy isn't producing a desired racial composition, and it's willing to lower admission standards to pursue a different racial balance. This will erode UC's reputation, and it won't work. The subjective parts of an application like essays and extracurriculars can be most easily gamed and are most opaque to students who aren't acquainted with the process. Admissions without testing may even be more tilted in favor of the well-connected. And I, mm. and there have been uh, other studies and articles written about this since that whole scandal erupted when it turned out rich people were, you know, Photoshopping their kids and all this stuff. And oh, yeah. my kid is on the crew team is that the, um, um, uh, the test is at least somewhat harder to fudge. The rich, the rich people can hire, uh, you know, test coaches, and you can take it many times and all that sort of stuff. But it's still, you still got to do it at some point. Mm-hmm. As the, as the Wall Street Journal's point, now you eliminate the test, and then all's left is the easily fudgeable stuff by the uh, the rich and well connected. So, look forward to more racial disparity. Well, and this has something to do with what we're going to talk about in the, in the next segment. That there is an overclass. Uh, in America, and a number of different realms, the elite, who 
decide how life should be and how business should function, how college should function, the rest of it. And they see the world in a very different way than most of us. To Janet Napolitano, the only way to success is a college degree or multiple degrees from an elite university. And if those opportunities aren't available to the the poor and downtrodden, who she uh, she uh, has vowed to lift up from on high, like you know your your super rich limousine liberal types, um, she will do anything she can to the college system to make sure uh, underprivileged and underprepared kids get in, even though that's not good for either one of them, because she sees that as the only way to have a happy life. And, uh, you know, again, that's just a, a, a facet of what we're going to be talking about next segment. But, um, yeah, okay, fine. Go ahead with your social experiment. Meritocracies have worked from time immemorial. And if you can have a Frederick Douglass, who was a slave, get his freedom and make himself one of the most important, influential, and successful people in America back during the horrific Jim Crow period, well, then you can find ways to success now without the game being rigged. Another article on the end of the handshake in society. We'll get to that later. Oh, yeah, and Matt Taibbi, Democrats have abandoned civil liberties. He's pissed, man. Of course, the handshake will be replaced by tongue kissing. Oh, Lord. uh... No. Armstrong and Getty.